Welcome back to Startup for the Rest of Us. I'm Rob Walling. This week, I talk with Mike Parham, the founder of Sidekick, the solo founder with no employees who is doing single-digit millions in revenue as a one-person software company. Mike's story is pretty unique in that he started an open-source project and later monetized it by selling features that aren't available in the core product. As you listen to the interview, you'll hear me ask Mike about, you know, how much luck factored into this. I mean, we, we talk about how he's had this amazing success, and then we talk about how it was 10 years to overnight success because he launched a bunch of different open source projects and none of them succeeded. And then finally Sidekick did, and Sidekick is a tool we used at Drip. I know a lot of folks in the Rails community use it as their queuing mechanism. But realistically, if Mike hadn't had this amazingly successful open source project, then none of the rest of this works. So it's an interesting and I think a pretty unique story on today's episode. But before we dive into our conversation, I want to let you know that we have several open podcast sponsorship slots on this here very show. We've run a few ads on the show over the last couple years, and our sponsors have received amazing results from being in front of this audience of ambitious, bootstrapped, and mostly bootstrapped SaaS founders. If you're interested in learning more, send an email to sponsors at microconf.com and ask about the podcast sponsorship options. And with that, let's dive into our conversation. Mike Parham, welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us. Thanks for having me, Rob. What an incredible story, sir. You started Sidekick 11 years ago, and it's an open source project that you have monetized through premium support. And I knew of Sidekick because my last startup, Drip, when we went to start building it, my developer, who later became my co-founder, said, we're going to use a queuing mechanism, you know, a, a queue, a, thing, a job thing that does, does jobs, a worker thing. And he's like, it's called Sidekick. And I was like, huh, never heard of that. Is it like RabbitMQ? You know, I had these older references. And he's like, exactly. And this is 20, so it was 20, it was probably January of 2013, December 2012. So... It's not like he'd been around for a decade, you know, but he, he, we were building it in Rails and he said, this is what we're going to do. And so we were on your free plan or the, I guess just the open source plan for quite a while. And then eventually we, when we started sending tens of millions of emails a month, it became obvious like we want whatever paying money got us, which I think was maybe escalated support. Is that, is that it? Like, I don't even know. We were paying $1,000 a month and I felt like the value we got was, was tremendous. I think the the business model that I have, I think is typically called open core, which is to say that the core of the system is open source and freely available. And then what I sell are packages on top of that core or that wrap around that core, which is the pro package and the enterprise package. Those add additional features that people can build on their own if they wanted to. But what I do is I collect a dozen of these features together and support that package so that people can either build it themselves or they can pay me for my batteries included type uh, commercial package. Right. And obviously, if you're building a, some free tool somewhere, then you might build it your own if you're hacking it on the weekend. And we were doing, I bet, half a million or a million a year in revenue at this point, team of six or seven. And you know, my co-founder came to me and said, I think we need to start paying for Sidekick. And I think it was like you have grouping into jobs and there was some visibility into the queue. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I'm like, how much is it? And he said, $1,000. And I said, a month? And he said, no, a year. 
I think that's what it was. Is that, is, am I remembering that right? That eight or 10 years ago? I mean, and I was like, really? That's it? Yeah, that's still the price too. The pricing I have, you know, like I said, I have two packages, the Pro and the Enterprise. The point of the Pro package is to, to bring together a couple of features and provide a pretty low price that the majority of the, the community can afford, right? So I have to be, I have to try and walk that, that fine line between making it too cheap so that no one really values it and making it too expensive that only like 1% of the companies can afford. So I, I settled on $1,000 a year only because so many companies have the credit card policy where anything over $1,000 requires like a, you know, a VP sign off or something like that. So I was just like, well, let's get it under the VP sign off line. And, and hopefully the, the vast majority of, of corporate customers can afford this and, and, and won't have an issue paying for it. And so, yeah, Sidekick Pro is, is that layer is designed to get me as many customers as possible. And so to spread sort of the load across lots of different customers. So I, I never have to worry about one giant customer churning out and, and, you know, my business going bankrupt because of it. Instead, I've got, you know, a thousand small customers, all which provide this very predictable, steady income that I can always depend on. And that's the beauty of product income, right? Rather than consulting where you have one big client. And, you know, the reason you got on my radar, again, I knew of Sidekick, but I didn't know your story as someone who started this open source project and is now in the single digit millions I want to say that again, multi-millions in revenue. You recently did an interview with Code Code Ship, CodeCodeShip.com. We'll link it up in the show notes. And then there was a Hacker News thread around that. And it was cool. You were chiming in. People were kind of guessing at your revenue. You said, I'm closer to 10 million than 1 million in annual revenue right now. I have 2,000 customers. And you were generally just chiming in. And you're a, you're a single founder, no employees. Is that right? Do you have any contractors? The company's just me. I have no contractors. I have a designer that I contact, you know, maybe once a year to help me out with a graphic here and there. I have a lawyer, which I contact once a year with, you know, any red lines I, I need to discuss or, you know, custom licenses that custom that customers request. But 99% of the time, it's just me. And that for many developers, especially developers who want to be entrepreneurs, is like the Cinderella story. You know, it's it's the dream of like, I just want to be me. I don't want to manage people. I don't want to deal with people. So how did you get here? Like, how did this happen? When you, when you started Sidekick in 2012, I believe, were you planning to monetize it long term? Or did you, did you start it and it caught on and then you realized, oh, I should make money from this? I had been doing open source for 10 years before I even got involved with Sidekick or started the Sidekick project. So I had I'd been around the open source world and I knew how the, the typical open source project works. You start it with lots of excitement. You get your first couple users and you're super enthused. And then the bug reports come in. You start, you start fixing those in your nights and evenings. And if you're successful, you get more and more and more bug reports and more and more support requests. And you find yourself devoting more and more free time to supporting this community that you've built, but you're not making any money from it. You're just giving free support to the world. And the end result is always the same. It's burnout. And so I'd seen open source project after project burnout and, and the, the developers rage quit. And I, and I knew that Sidekick would follow that exact same path if I if I didn't do something different. And so I, I just that was it. I just pledged to do something different. 
I thought that no matter what, you're always going to have to support your project. And so I thought, well, if I can make money somehow off of the support, then I could just make it into a job and I can work 40 hours a week on it. No problem. I mean, it's a project that I create. It's technology that I love. And so as a developer, you know, why not turn this into my, my dream job? And so that's what I set about doing is turning it into my dream job. And how quickly after releasing it into the wild did you start charging for something? Let's see. I, I started Sidekick in February 12 or January 12. And then by August or so, I, I knew that I had something happening. I knew that Sidekick was looking like it was going to be successful. And I had a lot of people telling me this is a lot better than the previous thing. And it's valuable. And that's when I knew I could, I could charge for it, right? If you've got value, you can charge for it. So the only question was, was how do I charge money for it? I originally licensed Sidekick as, it is licensed, I should say, as LGPL. And the GNU licenses are famous for being somewhat corporate unfriendly. And I thought, well, maybe I can sell a commercial license that would allow the corporate corporations to to get out of having to use the, the GNU license with Sidekick. That didn't sell very well. The, the reality is, is most of the people making these technology decisions are developers and developers don't care about the licensing as long as it allows them to do what they want to do. And so what I, what I then said was, okay, well, how maybe I can charge for additional features. And that's when I started planning Sidekick Pro and think, thinking, you know, okay, what features haven't I built yet? What can I build and package separately? And how do I sell that thing? So that's, that's really where it became, okay, how do I, how do, I do this? Because I think there was maybe one other person who was selling Ruby code at the time. And that was the passenger team, the people that build the passenger app server. Uh, they, they introduced Passenger Enterprise in a couple months before I did. And so I, I saw them, them trying it and I said, well, I'll try it too. And so I created Sidekick Pro. I figured out how to distribute it. I signed up for a payment service, which provided it like a checkout shopping cart kind of on top of Stripe and just started using that and opened, opened for business, so to speak. And for folks listening to this who think they may want to go down this path, I believe that the hardest part of your journey of becoming the success you are today is not everything that's happened over the past three, four, five years, but it's that very first step of you built something people wanted that's hard to do, right? You and I could collaborate and build 10 open source projects and throw them up on GitHub or wherever else, crickets. But finding something that people want and building it and having it catch on and having that momentum. And as you said, I knew I was on to something, right? From January to August already, I'm imagining downloads are accelerating. I'm imagining five-star ratings or reviews or you know whatever it is in the ecosystem. And then once you have that, it's, it's not easy, but it is, okay, figure out a way to monetize it. You know, you, you tried a license, didn't work. Tried features, oh, that works. If features hadn't worked, you'd have tried something else. I, I think you could have eventually monetized it with a big enough audience, right? That While that is a challenge, that's not the hardest part of it, right? It's the initial, like, how do I build something that just a bunch of people are using because starts, starts to becoming a little ubiquitous in the default, and then you can piggyback on that to create a revenue stream. Right. I mean, what I, what I kind of left out in that, that history lesson there was the previous five years where I had been blogging about Ruby. So I, I was consistently blogging every month about various Ruby topics. 
And my blog was getting popular. You know, fellow Ruby developers were reading my blog and where I was talking about various really arcane, really technical topics. And so they grew to trust me as someone who was really technical and, and sort of knew how this tech worked and had a vision for where I wanted it to go. And in doing that, I built up my audience. And once I started Sidekick, I was blogging every week about the Sidekick project and what I was going to do. And here's the various things I'm going to try. And so you build up this audience and that audience starts to trust you and they see the logic of what you're trying to do. And all of a sudden they're saying, well, I want to check this out. I want to try it. And I, I love what he's doing here. Everything makes sense. And yeah, let me, let me throw some money his way to buy this tool because we need it too. I mean, over the next few years, I think you were making a full-time income within a couple years of either launching or monetizing. I mean, they're so close together, it almost almost doesn't matter. Yeah, it was about 18 months. 18 months, okay. So, I mean, that's, that's obviously relatively quick. And again, I think that ties into the popularity, the fast popularity you had. Overnight success, right? So we might say you it was 10 years to your overnight success. That's how I think about it. Because a lot of the stuff that you did prior, all the open source projects and all the blogging and all that, you know, w- would you agree with that, that you kind of needed all that to make it work? Well, if you think about it in, in, the term, in the sense of a band that's an overnight success after touring for 10 years, I, I would certainly say that was true of me also. I mean, I was doing open source work. I was blogging regularly. Uh, and so it was only after those five, 10 years of industry experience and, and know-how that I started this project and said, I'm going to take it up a notch and, and start charging for this thing. So yeah, and to your point, it was, you know, maybe six months until I monetized it. It was another 18 months after that to where I got to a full-time salary. And then a few months after that, I started, I incorporated and, and, and started my own business, uh, quit my job and, and just started doing it full-time. I mean, I think I probably reached my success point once I was making 5X my, my previous annual salary because that, that just becomes life-changing money at that point. Right. Especially when you know it's going to continue, right? When it's like, oh, this is actually building and I can count on this for the foreseeable future. So over this journey then, this decade-long journey, have you had a point where you were like, this isn't going to work? Like the example I always use is when I I ran an email service provider and Russian hackers sent a bunch of phishing emails one night. They kind of broke in and sent them overnight, blacklisted all our IPs. And I showed up Monday morning. I was like, well, that's it. We had a good run. Like We're done. And turns out we weren't done. (laughs) We figured it out. But like there were a few moments like that along the way that were just, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. You know, did you ever have a moment like that? You know, I consider myself pretty lucky. My business has just sort of skyrocketed up. The, the sidekick business has, uh, for sure. I've, I've spun off new products as I've tried to sort of diversify my business. I, I created a product called Inspector, which, which just didn't sell well and didn't have the demand. And so I shut it down. I've created another background job system, which is not based on Ruby. Because uh, the one thing your audience may not know is that Sidekick is specific to Ruby. You can only use it with Ruby. Whereas I, I created a new background job system called Factory, and that can be used by any language. And so I'm also selling that as a product in my company. It's not as successful as Sidekick. I mean, Sidekick was a rocket ship up. Factory is, is growing nicely, but it's not, it's not the sort of exponential growth that, that Sidekick has, has really seen. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where my less successful aspects of my business would be is is in the various you know different products that you launch that don't quite become that that big hit 
you know, it's kind of like a band with the first, their first album is, is, is a huge success. And then their follow-up is, is a huge dud, but you know, such is life. Yeah. And those are the risks you take to try to diversify. You're just risking time at that point, right? Because your main business is already so lucrative. One question I did have about that piggybacking on that is, you know, all technology has a life cycle. We look at programming languages, classic ASP, and and even like Perl for use on the web, CGI scripts, whatever. I'm going way back here. I'm going back 23 years. And they, they come up and then they get replaced with a .NET or, a, you know, a Rails. Ruby had been around for a long time, but Rails became a dominant framework. And then even like Django and Node, I would say, are, are newer in the life cycle. As an entrepreneur who makes, is generating incredible wealth from essentially the Ruby ecosystem, do you have concerns that, you know, Rails, Ruby and Rails have been around now for, what is it, 15 years, however long they've been popular, but like that there could be a decline in the ecosystem that would kind of to cause your business to shrink? Have you seen any of that? Just curious about your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's it's a concern, but at the same time, I always fight back against the need to have like sort of a venture capital-like need for growth at all costs, right? I'm happy with the life cycle that whatever life cycle Ruby has, I'm making more than enough money. I don't need to make any more money. You know what I mean? I very much believe in sort of the Buddhist mindset where, you know, desire is, is, is a root of pain, right? And wanting more. And, and I don't need more, you know, I'm I'm happy to support my customers. I, I also look at tech like Fortran or COBOL, right? That have been like in existence for going on 60, 70 years now. And they're still out there. There's still people making money off of it. You just don't hear about it. And and to me, what I've always pledged is that I'm I'm here to support Sidekick for the long term. And so, you know, if Sidekick's around 10, 20 years from now, hopefully I'll still be around supporting it too. I don't I don't have, you know, hundreds of employees and venture capital backing that demand endless growth in profits and margins. I'm doing great, and and I'm lucky enough to where if I need to, I can I can hire other people to to help me support it. But at this point, that has proven not to be necessary. Finding the perfect software engineer for your team can feel like looking for a needle in a haystack, and the process can quickly become overwhelming. But what if you had a partner who could provide you with over 1,000 on-demand, vetted, senior, results-oriented developers who are passionate about helping you succeed? And all that at competitive rates. Meet Lemon.io. They only offer hand-picked developers with three or more years of experience and strong, proven portfolios. With Lemon.io, you can have an engineer start working on your project within a week instead of months. Plus, you won't waste your time on candidates who aren't qualified. Lemon.io gives you easy access to global talent without scouring countless job boards, and it's more affordable than hiring local talent. And if anything goes wrong, Lemon.io offers swift replacements, so it's kind of like hiring with a warranty. If you need to grow your engineering team or delegate some work, give Lemon.io a try. Learn more by visiting Lemon.io slash startups and find your perfect developer or tech team in 48 hours or less. As a bonus for our podcast listeners, get a 15% discount on your first four weeks of working with a developer. Stop burning money, hire devs smarter. Visit Lemon.io slash startups. That was actually leading to my next question is, I feel like if I were in your shoes, there would be some things about my job, your entrepreneurial job that you've created that I wouldn't like. Probably support would be my, would be my thing that I would want to hire someone to do. You obviously have budget for that. You haven't hired anyone. I know that your support must be incredibly technical, but look, 
you could hire someone for a quarter million dollars, some amazing senior developer, you know, or some amazing, I mean, if we go to Eastern Europe, you could hire an amazing senior developer for 150, you know, you have budget for that. Why haven't you done it so far? Well, if I take myself out of the trenches, the technical trenches, so to speak, then I lose that sense of pain that customers might be feeling that would then go into the next version of the product. I, I, need, I need to have that boots on the ground knowledge so that I know, okay, what are the customers asking for? What, what are they suffering uh, with right now? What, what features are, are painful and what features are, are, do they love? And so I don't want to put a layer of abstraction between myself and that sort of feedback. You're right. Support's not necessarily the funnest thing. I constantly get emails from lesser technical customers, customers who aren't quite as savvy technically, asking, oh, the memory on our sidekick process is going crazy. How do we solve this? And so, it, you know, I do have these constant uh, support pains that I do my best to document to people how and to the community, how do we overcome these, these issues? So I'm incentivized to make my wiki documentation as good as possible and to make error messages as clear as possible and that sort of thing, because that literally makes my day-to-day life better because I get less and less of these emails asking the same questions over and over. So I, I do my best to, to document things thoroughly, to make the code as smooth as possible, and to, you know, to sand down any rough edges so that I, I have as little support uh, as possible. But at the end of the day, that, that support does inform a heavy part of the changes that go into Sidekick. Yeah, I could see that. Being close to your customers is is an incredible advantage. One thing I'll say, so I used to be in your boat too, and I was like, I did all the support for my products. What I eventually did was I hired it out, and I realized I could read through all the tickets at the end of a day, and I didn't have to respond to them myself, but I still felt the pain of the customers. And then we got to the point, we were at, what, 10 employees, and then we got acquired, and we were 100 employees eventually. And I know that's not the path you're going. But then I had someone really smart who would read through the tickets, who would then create a brief for me that was, here's all the major issues coming up, right? So it was a summary. I wasn't right on the front lines, but I felt like I it was important to me that I, too, as a product maker, didn't lose that familiarity and that the pain, as you said, the frontline feel. So there are ways around it if you decide to do it, but it's your business. You can do whatever you want. If you want to keep doing support, you can. Yeah. I mean, Rob, at the end of the day, one of the decisions I made when starting my business was that I, I didn't want to hire people, period. I don't want to be a manager. I don't want to deal with the administrative overhead. And so I said, well, what does a developer business like Sidekick look like if you can't hire anybody? And so all of my business policies, all of my support policies, all are based on the fact that how do we treat Mike's time as valuable <laughs> and not allow the customer to take too much of my time. And so some of my policies are rather harsh. You can't pay for Sidekick Pro with anything but a credit card. And that's because I don't want to deal with the billing and the invoicing. Uh, everything is all automated for Sidekick Pro. And that's how I keep the price low. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's it's what policies and what's the type of business that you want to build. And and what I decided isn't necessarily right for you or anybody else. Yeah, it's a great way to think about it. You own your own destiny as someone who has bootstrapped it, right? And and own all of the all the IP. Question about competition. See, I'm imagining in this decade, 
that year, 11 years you've been building this, has no one come along and tried to build a better sidekick, like a competitor that would take market share from you, right? That, that's what normally happens. And if they have, why have you won? Why have you continued to succeed in the fashion that you are? There have been a few what you might style as competitors to sidekick, you know, competing projects. They all use different technology. Some of them use technology like Kafka, which is a lot more complex than Redis. So Sidekick is based on Redis. Redis is quite simple to start and to manage. At least I think it is. Maybe others disagree. <laughs> but Kafka is a, is a order of magnitude more complex to manage. Another one used uh, MongoDB as its backing store. And MongoDB, of course, is this kind of niche data store that never really is, is kind of out of fashion now. Uh, the, the, the current what you might call a competitor to Sidekick is, a, is another project called Good Job, and it uses Postgres as its store. So other, so other sort of competing projects have come out. The thing to note is that they usually don't have a commercial side. They usually are just open source, and that goes leads you right back to what I said earlier, which is every successful open source project either grows to a team that can survive it or that the founder burns out over time. So yeah, I think I have competition, so to speak, but I don't have any commercial competition, so to speak. Well, I think my, my commercial competition would be like SQS. Amazon, which is a... Right, easy. it's an Amazon web service um, that does queuing. It doesn't have anywhere near the breadth of features that Sidekick offers, especially the commercial packages. But it does have the Amazon name. And if you're going all in on on AWS, it makes sense that you'd use that instead. It's like pay-per-use though. So as you scale up, the price just keeps going up. Whereas that's not true in, in Sidekick. So, you know, you can pay a thousand dollars for Sidekick Pro and then you can process a trillion jobs through it for that same thousand dollars. So yeah, there's there's various different competitors and different offerings out there, but the um, the Ruby community and the Rails community seem to trust Sidekick as as the the best choice right now, at least. As we wrap up, I want to ask you a question. I don't know that I've ever asked anyone on the show before, but it's about, about the fact that you're open source. I'm curious, you know, there are open source purists who think no one should ever pay for software. It should all be free. You know, it's more the, I don't know, it's an extreme-ish viewpoint, but I'm wondering if you've had any run-ins with folks where your success story appears on Hacker News or you do an article, an interview, and basically haters come in and, and are shocked and appalled that you are monetizing an open source project in this fashion. That's a constant worry of every open source developer I've ever met. And the reality is that I hit very few. I mean, one or two occasionally, but, you know, the vast majority of people that chime in on these threads are usually saying, we've been a customer of Mike's for, you know, five years now, and the product's been amazing. He's answered issues and questions within like 20 minutes, right? Someone filed a, um, a security issue a couple of weeks ago with, with Sidekick, and I had it fixed within two hours of the report coming in. So individual people who are maybe hobbyists and don't have any budget, they may be a little bit upset that they do not have access to the commercial features and that I don't just give it away. But a lot of businesses understand that if you're in business, you have insurance, right? You, you have insurance, you, you pay your vendors, 
because you want that support. You want that dependability of, of always being there. And this is no different. You're buying a tool. You're buying the commercial insurance to ensure that that tool is going to be around forever. And at $1,000, it is and was a no-brainer for, uh, you know, for a business that's doing <laughs> Well, enterprise is a little more expensive, so. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show. If folks want to keep up with you, your Twitter handle is GetAJobMike, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. And, of course, Sidekick, S-I-D-E-K-I-Q dot org if they want to check it out. Yeah, I don't, I don't use Twitter anymore. I'm on Mastodon with the, the majority of the Ruby community now. Okay. But it is, it's get a job, Mike, at Ruby Social, Ruby.social. So Perfect. My, my Mastodon handle is, is on my Twitter pro. People can find you there. Amazing. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Of course. Thanks, Rob. Thanks again for joining me this week. And thanks to Mike for joining me on the show and taking a half hour out of his busy day. Another reminder that we have sponsor slots open for the podcast, sponsors at microconf.com if you want to learn more. I'll be back in your ears next Tuesday. This is Rob Walling signing off from episode 661.